So we're in this series called um, Prince of Peace. Somebody say Prince of Peace. And the title of the message is Now I Can Die in Peace. And we've looked at the peace that Jesus came to give us uh, first. In the first week, if you were here, we talked about the cosmic peace that Christ provides through his sacrifice on the cross. He, prevent, he presents to the Father in the heavenly throne room the eternal and final sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the, Lord, and, and the Father accepts Jesus' sacrifice. And now there, are, there is no need for the blood of bulls and goats and oxen and lambs and sheep like in the Old Testament and Old Covenant because Jesus has paid it all through his blood at the cross. Hallelujah. Amen. Then we talked about relational peace. How many people don't have peace because they don't guard their relationship structures, and that message touched a lot of hearts, and I would encourage you, if you weren't here, to watch, if you're going to watch any message in this series other than this one, <laughs> uh, watch part two, because it was very helpful to a lot of people. And then last week, inner peace. How do we maintain, how do we get to that place where even if the relation of peace is off the table, there's inner peace available to us? Well, you can't talk about peace without talking about death, because everybody's going to die. I don't know if you've heard the statistics, the, the mortality rates, 100%, right around 100%. And it's been hovering there for many, many, many years. So you're going to die and I'm going to die, and we've got to face death the way God wants us to face death. And uh, I think about this in the Christmas season. How does this relate? Because here's what we do at the Christmas season. Um, our whole year goes by, we hit Thanksgiving dinner and then the very next day, and in some states, thank God not Massachusetts, but in some states, the Christmas shopping craze starts as soon as the dinner is cleared off the table on Thanksgiving afternoon. And then we make a mad rush to the deadline of our lives for the year. And I thought about it. I have a teenager, she's a junior in high school, and she's at that stage where she's wrestling with finals. And she says to me, I'm so stressed about finals. I got this big final. I got this big final. And I thought about the Christmas season is really like a final for grown-ups. You think about it. Like the semester is our year. And so we've done the whole thing. We've lollygagged the whole year. We haven't really paid attention to the... In, in the inevitable deadline coming up December 24th at 7 p.m., right? And we always just kind of like put it off until the last minute, and we have a serious research project at the end of every single year. Research because we got to find out what do they want, where are the sales, can I get this cheaper somewhere else, what's going to make them happy, what should I get my wife? My wife this year told me, honey, get me whatever you want, I'll be happy, just that you thought of me. How many know that's a lie? <laughs> I didn't take the bait. I said, honey, here's a piece of paper. Write down exactly what you want and act surprised. <laughs> but we got this big, you know, this big project, big project that we got to get done before Christmas Day comes along. And so we got to research, got to do a lot of writing. Some of you, the Christmas cards, the writing, get the hand cramp because you never write outside of this month. 
And so you got to get those cards out. You got to make all the meal preparations, all the invitations, all the people. You gotta get, then you got to wrap the presents. It's like, it's like a collage underneath your Christmas tree, a collage of presents. You worked hard. You worked hard. And, 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 and so there's some of you, you're, you're business owners, and, and you've got financial things that you've got to sort out before the new year. And so your accountant's right now telling you, you've got to unload this much money before you get hammered in taxes next year. So you got to give to some charity. You got to give to Waters Church. This much money before the new year or whatever. And so you got to take care of that. And so all these things. And then we get all stressed and all worried. Because am I going to pass the test? And then on December 26th, we get our grades, don't we? We get our grades. Did we get what they wanted? Did we make our kids happy? Did we get through dinner on Christmas Day without talking about Donald Trump? I mean, this is the big test we're all facing. And so we put all of our energies. And some of us, some of us are procrastinators. You don't plan ahead. You're just like the people in college that never study until the night before the test. And so you, here it is, December 23rd, and you still haven't shopped yet. And you're waiting until tomorrow at noon. And, and you know who you are, men. You know who you are, husbands. <laughs> Because I am you. I'm with you. Any brothers in the house still have to get to the store? Amen. All the brothers. Hallelujah. Thank you. Make me feel better about my procrastination habits. But, but this is what we do every single year. It comes. A final for grown-ups. And then we find out if we pass and if we failed. And most of us will feel like we failed no matter how good it was. We'll feel like we failed. This is, why, this is how I know. Because when the new semester starts, we make a promise, don't we? We make a promise. I'm going to do better this year. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. And I'm going to make sure I love my family and my friends more intentionally this year. And that's how it happens. We're just like a bunch of college students with an annual reminder that the season is coming to an end. And we better be ready. And so I was thinking about the fact that your season comes to an end. But so does your life. So does your existence. And I thought about how much planning we put into the end of the holiday season, but how much planning are we putting into the end of our life? You see, the scriptures are very clear about this. No one can escape death. Psalm 89 verse 48 says, what man can ever live and never see death? Or Job 30 verse 23 says, death is the destination of all who live. And we all have a particular reaction to the reality of our death. I did a little research about this, and I thought about how crazy it is how we handle the reality of death that is inevitable for all of us. Right now, there is a big debate about quality of life and scientific advancements for extending it. Where do we draw the line? And there's a lot of ethical debate around that. Because we don't really know, right? We don't really know. We're going to keep them alive on a tube and, and machines, or do we pull the plug? And that's a that's a that's a decent ethical debate we need to have, but 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 we get a little bit queer. We, we get a little bit crazy about this. We get a little bit fundamental. We get a little bit, you know, obnoxious about this debate. And then and then there's a big problem in in westernized worlds. The baby boom population is heading into their elderly years right now, and the estimates, global estimates are there will be more deaths in the next four decades than the previous 300 years combined. Like the, the growing population, this boom population is, is going to die. And so another problem is that how do we handle 
caregiving of those who are getting to the end of their lives. And I read about this in Japan. This is an interesting thing. Japan has a major problem with their elderly population because they don't have enough caregivers to provide them end-of-life care. So they're coming up with a solution, and in 2013, they sunk one-third of their whole national budget into one project, and all the westernized, industrialized worlds are nations are watching Japan. What are they doing? They are literally developing robots that will provide end-of-life care for the elderly. Robots. And I thought, that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting idea, robots taking care of us. I have a picture of one of the robots. Here's a picture of the robot. That's uh, one of the robots in Japan caring for the elderly. They will pick you up. They'll put you in your bed. They'll put you in a bath, in a bath that automatically washes you. They'll take you out of the bath, dry you off, and put you in your bed. And they've got a bare face. Because everybody knows that in the wild, bears are naturally nurturing and caring toward humans. <laughs> and, and then I thought about, like, there's a movie out there, Big Hero 6. Those look like Big Hero 6 robots. And so after you're dead, they say, are you satisfied with your care? <laughs> and you can't die until you say yes. Right? Um, this is what's happening in, in, our, in our world today. And then I read about how one of the things that we do in America, uh, particularly, is we avoid death almost at all, by, all, by all means. And um, I, I read an article by Andrew Sullivan. He's a social commentator, brilliant social commentator. And he talks about the fact that in our generation, as never before, what we do with the old of our generation, what we do with the elderly is we put them away. We get them out of our sights. And so he writes this, quote, unlike any humans before us, this generation takes those who are much closer to death than we are and sequesters them in nursing homes where they cannot remind us of our own fate in our own daily lives. And I thought about, you know, it's so true because you look at, you look at Hollywood, you look at television, you look at movies, and there's one common denominator among the Hollywood celebrities of the time, and that is that they are typically in their 20s to 30s, maybe their 40s, and then most of the time, once they cross a certain threshold of age, they get flushed out of the system. And do you ever find yourself watching a show and, they, and you see someone from a long time ago and you say, I, I forgot about them? Or do you ever start thinking about someone that you grew up watching on television and you ask yourself, whatever happened to so-and-so? Like Penny Marshall passed away a couple of days ago. Penny Marshall was was, was who? Who was Penny Marshall? Laverne. How many of you watched that show, went to your kitchen, and immediately poured yourself a milk and Pepsi? Come on. And you drank it, and you were like, this is disgusting. But Penny Marshall, I remember growing up with her in my living room right on that television set. She died a couple days ago. But I looked up pictures of her, and, and I realized what happened to her. You know what happened to her? She got old. She got old, and we all get old, and this is, why, this is what we put on in front of us, even on our television, even in, in the movies. We want the young person, the young actor, the up-and-comer. Oh, that old person? No, 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 no. We don't want to see that anymore. We don't want to watch the natural process of life, but the inevitability of life, no matter how much we try to deny it, no matter how much we try to say it's not going to happen to us, it's going to happen to us. We're all going to get old, and maybe we won't even get old, but we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And so I read about this interesting thing. Some guy out in Silicon Valley came up with an app. It's called We Croak. <laughs> and
and it reminds you on your smartphone device five times a day that you're going to die. There's a little notification. It comes up just like that on my app right here, right? That's the picture of my son, by the way. And uh, that's, the, that's the We Croak app. It costs $1. I bought it. And I've been working with it for the last couple of days. And i got to say, it's kind of interesting. And so I just, I, this is live now. I didn't plan, pre-plan this. But I, I have the reminder here. And here's what the reminder says. Don't forget, you're going to die. <laughs> open for a quote. So let's do this. Let's open it. And here's the quote today. It says, the life of this world is wind. Windblown we come and windblown we go away. All that we look on is windfall. All we remember is wind. End quote. Well, that doesn't say Merry Christmas. I don't know what does. <laughs> Happy holidays. <laughs> and this developer, this app developer in Silicon Valley came up with that app because he was sick and tired of falling into the vortex of the momentary social media madness. Like social media gets us so upset, gets us so worked up, and then if we just ignore it, if we just ignore it, if we just don't post, right? If we just don't take debate and get into the debate and start fighting and start arguing and start calling out people for what we believe and they believe and all this, like if we just leave it alone, it will go away and everybody will forget it tomorrow. And so we developed this app to remind ourselves of the big picture. And I gotta say, actually, it's kind of cool to be reminded that you're gonna die. Because it keeps you in check. It keeps you in check about the reality of your life. And as a Christian, it keeps me in check about what my Savior came to do. Because what he did was he came to give me peace in this life, but also for the next. That if you are in Christ Jesus, death is not an end and not despair. Death is a door. It's exiting this existence and entering into the next. Absent from the body, the scripture says, present with the Lord. For every believing Christian in the world, when they die, we mourn, but we don't mourn as those without hope. We mourn, but we celebrate the reality that in that moment, the moment their heart stopped beating here, they were more alive than ever before in their lives in the presence of their Savior and their Creator. This is why Jesus came, as that famous hymn says. Mild he lay his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. A researcher at Cornell University asked people over the age of 65, what's the greatest regret of your life? The number one answer on the list, the number one answer was, I spent too much time worrying. Oh, how we need peace for the rest of our lives and transition into the next. Do you got that peace? As Paul said in the book of Philippians chapter one, he said, for to me, this is Paul the apostle, Jesus Christ knocked him down to the ground, woke him up spiritually, got his attention, converted him from a hardcore Jew to a hardcore Christian, and he spent the rest of his life spreading the message of Jesus. And at the end of his life, he approaches death like this. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? I'm not losing a thing when I die. And if you're in Christ, you don't lose a single thing. You gain. You enter into that great reward that God has promised to those who trust in 
him. And so today I want to take a look at a picture in Luke's gospel, in the infancy narrative of Luke's gospel. Jesus is a child. He's being brought into the temple as a child. He's being dedicated to the Lord's service. And Mary and Joseph are there. And the Lord God, in the Holy Spirit's wisdom, inspired the writer of the gospel, Luke, to include this very interesting story of a man named Simeon. Would you stand together with me as we look at Simeon's experience with the Lord Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Here's what it says. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus to, the Jeru to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And then they offered the sacrifice according to what was written in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would, check this out, that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when he saw the parents who brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, now... I can die in peace. I think that's actually where this phrase comes from. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of people, all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child, Jesus, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. And I pray that your word will be clear today. I pray that it will be helpful. I pray that it will empower your people to live with hope and peace in their hearts. And I pray, as we always do every single time we're together, help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said a big? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Simeon teaches us four things about death. He lived with this promise. He lived with this promise that he would not see death until he met Jesus. And he is a picture. He is a picture for the human condition that this man, I didn't know the scripture is very vague about how he got this revelation. It says the Holy Spirit told him this, but he lived with this sense in his life that it wasn't yet complete until he saw the Lord's Christ, the promised Messiah, the hope that Israel had been living with for thousands of years waiting for the Christ, waiting for the one who would redeem Israel. And Simeon waited and waited and believed and trusted and knew that his life, listen, was not ready to end until he saw Jesus. And the same is true for you and for me. And we do so many things to prepare for death that really don't have anything to do with what really matters about our death. But Simeon points to us, and he says, be ready. 
And here's how you're not ready. So the first three things, the first three things that Simeon teaches us is how we're not ready for death. Number one, he teaches us that I can follow the rules and still not be ready for death. I can follow the rules and still not be ready for death. You see, the Bible tells us that Simeon was righteous. Somebody say righteous. Well, righteous in this sense meant that he was living according to the laws of Israel. The first five books of your Bibles, the first five books of our Bibles, are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They are the first five books. They are the books of Moses. The Jews called them the Torah because it means instruction. Torah means instruction. And it is God's instruction for his people. This is how you should live. This is what you should do with your life. This is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. And this is what will bless you. And this is what will curse you. And so do what you should do to be blessed. And I will make sure it goes well with you. And you know how many laws are in the first five books of the Bible? For the Jews now, for the Jews. There are 613 laws in the Jewish texts. Some of them are strange. Some of them are crazy. Some of them are ancient. Some of them are outdated. I agree. We don't go to the Torah to find out how we live as Christians. We go to the New Testament to find out how we should live. Some of those laws come through the cross, and they are still in effect today. Some of those laws stop at the cross, and they are no longer in existence today. And some of those, cross are, some of those laws are changed or elevated through the cross, and we do them at an even greater measure today as Christians. But they are not our laws. They are the Jews' laws. And if you're not a Jew, good news for you. You didn't have 613 laws handed to you at birth. But every community has laws, doesn't it? Oh, there's something called neighborhood laws. Like some people, you live in homeowners associations, and there are laws, aren't there? Oh, you're going to keep your grass this tall, and you're going to keep your bushes nicely trimmed. And if you get a fence, you're going to have to get it passed by the board, and it's going to be this color and that many pegs and that many stakes and all kinds of things, and you're not just going to own your house. No, 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 no. You have, you have joined the community, and this community has rules. I remember when I moved into my neighborhood, it's not one of those homeowners association neighborhoods, it's just a regular neighborhood. But I remember that I moved in and a person from two doors down came over to visit us and bring us a housewarming gift. And then they informed us of the rules. They said, whatever you do, make sure that you fertilize your lawn with Scots. Don't be going to Ocean State job lot for your fertilizer. You get yourself the right stuff. Everybody in this neighborhood uses Scott's. Guess what I've used every single year since I moved in the house? Scott's fertilizer. I am a good rule follower, all right? You don't get to the stage in church without being a good rule follower. Amen, somebody. This is the rules you break, you break when nobody looks. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> but anyway... There are rules for neighborhoods. You know, there's rules for families. Some of you grew up with parents who laid it on the line for you, and you lived with rules. In this family, we go to church. In this family, we go to college. In this family, we get our master's degree. In this family, we don't date people from that kind of life. See, every community has, you don't even have to be religious to have a community that will lay on your heart certain rules and expectations for your life. There's the American rules. If you want to be a good American, here's what you do. Be nice. Don't judge. 
Be tolerant. And it's funny, the, the don't judge rule. I always get a kick out of that. Don't judge. Because here's the thing. Here's the problem with don't judge. The moment that you judge me for judging you, you've broken your own rule. Every community has rules. Of course, the church has rules. And different churches have different rules. Amen? Like there are the conservative churches, and their rules are predominantly around sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then there's liberal churches, and their rules are about the poor and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and housing the homeless and social justice. And, and it's just rules, it's just rules for different communities. And I wonder, what, I wonder what rules you're following. You know, there's even generational rules, and there are rules in your school. And I'm not talking about the school rules. I'm talking about your friends' rules. Like, you could show up, young people, to your school in the wrong style of clothes, and you will be eviscerated by people who in, 12, in five years will no longer know you exist. But you better follow those rules if you want to get along. There's rules in your business. There's rules in your corporate world. There's rules. And you could follow the rules. And you, if you're not careful, will spend a whole bunch of your life following the rules that some other community has laid on you to garner approval and acceptance from that community when the approval and acceptance of that community really doesn't matter. Amen. I mean, at the end of the day, they are not the judge. When you die, you don't stand before the courts of America's judicial system. When you die, you don't stand before Republicans or Democrats. When you die, you don't stand before a certain race or color or creed. When you die, you stand before the creator of the universe. And if he approves of you, it doesn't matter who rejects you. And you say, well, I want that approval. You can have it freely by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to believe he died for your sins to make you the rule breaker, actually a rule follower, and present you faultless and blameless before the judge of all the earth. That's the gospel. You can follow your rules. There is, in 1991, the CEO of Gillette Shaving Company, was named Coleman Mockler. He was a raging success. He graduated Harvard with honors, got his MBA from Harvard Business School, got hired by Gillette. In the 1970s, climbed the corporate ladder, did all the right things, dotted all his I's, crossed all his T's, lived according to the rules, eventually became the CEO of Gillette Shaving Company, and he blew the business up. It became an international success that it is today. Coleman Mockler, the stock doubled under his watch 50 times. Twice under his watch, he was on the cover of Forbes magazine, featured as one of the great entrepreneurs of the age. And in 1991, he was on the cover for the second time in January's edition. And Forbes magazine sent Coleman Mockler an advanced copy so that he could show his friends. And he took it to the board meeting and he showed the advanced copy of Forbes magazine with his picture right there on the front cover. And they all celebrated him and they clapped him and they clapped for him and they slapped him on the back. Way to go. 
And he walked out of that business, out of that office meeting, walked down the hall into his office, closed the door, had a massive heart attack, and died in that very instant with the magazine in the palm of his hand. You can follow the rules and still not gonna make you ready for the next life to come. Christianity is not about rules. I don't know who told you that, but it's not. It's about rules in the sense that it tells us we all broke them. But then it tells us that the hope is there's one who aced them. And if we come to him for forgiveness and grace, he gives it to us. And his perfect A-plus record is applied to our record. And we get our F applied to him at the cross. And when we approach the Father, we get acceptance. That's what the Christian message really is. Secondly, Simeon teaches us that you can live a careful life Number two, I can live a careful life and still not be ready for death. Oh, there's some of you, you're not just rule followers, you're careful. You're careful. It says Simeon was devout. The word devout here in the Greek means careful, studious. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I find that there's a lot of people like this. You, you don't just follow the rules, you make sure you go beyond the rules. So you don't speed. You always wear your seatbelt. Your hands are always at 10 and 2. I see you on the road. I don't like you. Get in my way. <laughs> and, or you're careful about your diet. You're careful about your spending. All good things. Please don't not be careful. These are good things but they don't prepare you for the ultimate thing. And there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people like, I'm gonna extend my life, how? Diet and exercise. And I'm a big believer in diet and exercise, but I'm just gonna tell you that there's no guarantee. And I think we need to be reminded of that. The New York Times ran this piece that says this, the secret to a longer life, question mark? Don't ask these dead longevity researchers. And it says this, some of the biggest names in dieting, organic agriculture, and preventative medicine died at a surprisingly young age. The wild foods enthusiast, Yule Gibbons, who started the plant-based diet movement, vegans, died at the age of 64 years old of an aortic aneurysm. The nutritionist, Adele Davis, warned the world of the dangers of white bread and sugar. And she died of cancer at age 70. Nathan Pritkin, one of the foremost champions of the low-fat diets, died at 69 years old. Robert Atkins was also 69, the founder of the famed Atkins protein-only diet. My grandfather was overweight. He was 300 pounds. He sat around his kitchen most of the day eating wonderful, delectable Italian treats that his Italian wife made him. He lived until the age of 86. His brother was an avid exerciser, watched his weight, watched his diet, did all the right things. He died of a massive heart attack at the age of 60. There are no guarantees. And you can live a very careful life and still not be ready for the next one. This is what Simeon teaches us. Number three, I can have the right goals and still not be ready for death. And sometimes, and I think especially for those of you in your 20s and your 30s, you got goals, you got dreams, and you should. Good for you. Go after them. 
but don't let them blind you to the reality that this life is temporal and that you may be unaware to your blindness that if you achieve those goals, they will not ultimately satisfy your soul. There are many people that reach the pinnacle of their profession. They get to the top of the mountain only to realize it's not all it's cracked up to be. And there's still something missing. I was reading an article about the great singer Sting, basis for the police and now solo artist for many, many years now. He's won 16 Grammys. He's sold over 100 million records. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And a couple of months ago, he was playing in Australia to 100,000 fans at the age of 64. But he's consumed with the reality that there is less life ahead of him than behind him. And he's taken up a new hobby. He takes hallucinogenic drugs to get over the idea that someday he's gonna die. And he says this in the article that I read, he says, the more, the most, the people that I know face death with absolute terror. I take these drugs so that I can practice my way there. You see, you can get to the top of your game. You can get to the top of the mountain and still realize that it's not all that's cracked up to be. And so 20 and 30-year-olds and maybe 40-year-olds as well, you got these dreams, you got these goals, you got these plans, wonderful, but don't let them blind you to the idea that if you get that thing that you're hoping for, it will be everything you ever needed. It won't be. It's good to have it, but it can't be everything to you. C.S. Lewis, the famous theologian from the last century, he was an atheist at Oxford University, and J.R. Tolkien, the writer of The Lord of the Rings, told him about Christ again and again and again and again, and eventually C.S. Lewis crossed the line of faith and became, he called himself, the most reluctant convert to Christianity in all of England. And then he became one of the most profound uh, apologists of the faith, one of the most profound defenders of the faith, and he wrote about our desires, and he says the reality of the human condition, and listen to this, the reality of the human condition is that we have all these desires that we give ourselves to, and we get those desires in God's grace, and they still don't complete us, they still don't fulfill us. And then he writes this famous line, he says, if I find within myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most logical conclusion is that I'm made for another world. See, you can have the right goals and still not be ready for death. In sum, here's what I'm saying. I could live a very good life and still not be ready for death. I could be, I could be a good person, like a lot of Americans like to say. I am a good person. I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I am a good person based on whose estimation of good? My own. Well, that's a convenient little system you've set up for yourself there. What college do you go to where they say, Here's the test, and after you're done taking it, why don't you grade yourself as well? That doesn't work in any other area of life. Why would it ever work with death? The, the reality is, is this is what got Jesus in so much hot water with the people that he talked to while he was walking on the face of the earth. See, Jesus was continually telling good people that they weren't good enough. This was his message. This is what gets you crucified. You tell a bunch of religious people that their religious works aren't good enough, and they'll kill you. 
And this is his ministry, really. This is what he was challenging people. In Matthew chapter five, in Matthew chapter seven, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we do all these? Look at what we did. And Jesus says, and I will declare to, and I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you, workers of lawlessness. Your works are not good enough for the next life. What is good enough? Grace. In Luke 18, Jesus talks about the tax collector and the Pharisee going to the same temple to pray one day. The tax collector was a filthy, rotten sinner, hated by his society, an outcast who broke all the rules, and everybody thought there's no way he could ever get to heaven. And the Pharisee was a rule keeper. He was a religious person. He was a scholar. He studied the Bible. He did all the right things. He followed all the right rules, and he was careful with his life. And those two guys come to the temple, Jesus says, and the Pharisee prays about himself and says, God, I thank you that I'm such a good person. I'm not like this filthy tax collector. I tithe. I give alms. I pray. I daily read. I do all the right things. And the tax collector, the outcast, the sinner, the bad person, beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a filthy sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, the sinner, not the good person Pharisee, returned home justified before God. It's not your goodness that gets you to heaven. In that same chapter, in Luke chapter 18, there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says the question, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, how about the commandments? How are you doing with those? And he says, I've passed them all. I've aced them. I've done all of them. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Because Jesus knew his heart. He was trusting in his riches as a sign of God's blessing for being such a good person. And Jesus challenged the heart of that man and said, sell all your stuff, give it away, and follow me. And the man walked away from Jesus sad because he had great wealth. No, 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 that's not Jesus telling all the rich people to get rid of all their money and all the rich people breathe the sigh of relief. It was Jesus challenging the trust in that man's heart that he had assumed that surely he was blessed because he was a good person. And Jesus said, not good enough. This is the stuff that gets you crucified. And so back to Simeon, we find a man who had lived righteous and devout and careful with all the right goals, and he still wasn't ready to die. And the Bible says in verse 26 that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see the Lord's Christ until he, uh, he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so verse 27 says this, and he came in the temple by the Holy Spirit when the parents brought the child Jesus into the temple to do to him according to the law, according to the custom of the law. Now the custom of the law was at the age of 40 days, you brought your child into the temple and you dedicated him to God's service, and you provided a sacrifice for the cleansing of his mother, and that's exactly what they did. And I want you to see something in this text that's so beautiful because it speaks to you and it speaks to me. It says that the parents come at the exact day, according to the law, that they should have come to the temple. And Simeon also shows up at the exact time they show up, being led by the Holy Spirit, which teaches us something profound about salvation. Don't miss this. That God has sovereignly directed the affairs of Simeon's life for this one moment. And if 
God did that for Simeon. Don't you realize he he does this for you? I don't believe in circumstance. I don't believe in happenstance, and I definitely don't believe in dumb luck. Do you know what I believe? I believe God is in the business of weaving together the events of our lives to bring us to the place where we find our peace in him. I wish that person never did that to me. I know. I wish they didn't do it to you either. But maybe the hurt put a hole in your heart so that you would turn to the healer who could wash that hurt away. I wish I never got divorced, but maybe the divorce made you realize that you're not as good as you thought you were. And that sense of needing to be better than you would ever be able to be on your own brought you to your knees and you found a grace that makes you acceptable before the only one whose opinion matters, the Lord Jesus Christ. The husband that will never leave you and never divorce you and never forsake you. And maybe the financial struggles that you're going through right now have caused you to open your eyes to something spiritual. Maybe there's more to this life than having all the money that you think you need. And yes, there is. His name is Jesus. He's the pearl of great price. That if you find him, nothing in all this creation would ever be able to compare to the beauty and the richness of his presence in your life. And maybe Christmas Eve services 2018 You haven't had the best final exam of your life this year. And maybe that's exactly what God cooked up in order for you to wake up to the reality that you could have all this season go perfectly according to plan and still not have peace in your heart about what really matters. Today, God is asking you, I've orchestrated the plan. I've put it all together. Will you receive Number four and finally, only Jesus brings us peace in death. As the writer of Hebrews says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became a human being. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You're here today not by accident, and you're here today not by happenstance. You're here today because God is in the business of bringing people back to himself. And he's knocking on the door of your heart to say, will you let me in? Because if you let me in, I'll heal the hurt, I'll forgive the sin, I'll wash it away, and I'll bring you peace, both for here and for there.